This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Tighter rules coming forward on top executives as to when they can sell off shares in their company, as well as having to disclose more information about why. The concern is that maybe we are seeing a rise in insider trading. The Securities and Exchange Commission unanimously passing a measure last month that will require directors to wait at least 90 days between when a trade is scheduled and when it occurs. As we mentioned earlier, Wharton Accounting Professor Dan Taylor has looked into this in the past, some research he did about two years ago, and he joins us with more on this latest move. Dan, pleasure to have you back with us. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Happy to be here, Dan. Thank you. And so I mentioned the the work that you had done back in 2021. Let's start there in what you looked at and, and what you were really focusing on back at that point. Yeah, so back then we looked at uh, something called 10B51 plans. Uh, and those those are the plans that allow executives to basically um, plan their trades in advance. So uh, some of your listeners might remember back in 2020, there was, you know, with COVID, there was a lot of uh, uproar about the, the trades of uh, Moderna CEO and Pfizer CEO. And both of those individuals had planned those trades in advance using these so-called 10B51 plans. And what those plans allow the executive to do is basically say, hey, I'm going to schedule a sale in advance, and I'm scheduling the sale when I don't have any material non-public information. In the future, if I come into uh, possession of such information, it's okay because the sale will just execute per the plan. So think about it like putting a stock sale in, in like a, a blind trust and then the, the trust effectively executing the, the trades, um, you know, in a routine manner. And we investigated those plans. And, you know, what I just described was the intent of those plans. But what we actually found was that it was it was far, far from that, um, that executives were basically gaming the system, modifying the plans adopting the plans, then trading the next day, and there was a lot of abuse going on. Uh, and so we, we documented that abuse and sort of pushed the SEC to, uh, to rein things in. And then so this move by the SEC last month, uh, probably not coming as a, a big surprise. Then, and how much importance is there in the fact that the SEC is making this move? Uh, I think it's very important. Uh, I, I, I think, to be honest with you, I, you know, it's, it's actually quite uh, hopeful in the sense that, you know, we did scientific research documenting this insider trading and then, you know, spoke with some of the SEC commissioners, wrote some op-eds, and then that kind of drove the ball for the SEC to actually change the rules. So it's very much, you know, evidence-based policymaking, you know, science informing the rules the SEC is doing around insider trading and white-collar crime. And I think that's kind of the bar that the SEC should use. If the data suggests there's a problem, then, you know, go out, go out and fix it. Um, so I, I think it's a big deal in that sense and that it, it shows, it illustrates how the system should work if it's actually functional. So, so it's, it's, and suffice you know, it, it's, it's, go ahead. You know, go ahead, Dan, finish up. I'm sorry. No, it's, it was just saying, you know, it's, it's, 
it's good news because, you know, the SEC commissioners are, are as, I don't know if your listeners are aware, there's five of them. They're politically appointed, three Democrats, two Republicans. And, you know, it was a unanimous vote. Uh, and so we typically think that Washington is polarized these days. And, you know, it's good to see that there's no polarization around ending insider trading. Right. And, and this also goes to the issue of transparency. And, and that is really the ultimate goal here, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think, you know, that, you know, the market can discipline insiders who might be engaging in illicit behavior. But but one of the and so what's the need for the regulators to, to impose these rules? But one of the concepts that you need for the market to discipline bad behavior is you need there to be transparency so the market can observe that there is bad behavior. Um, and so the rules will require the companies to post every quarter a description of the amount of stock that the executives had scheduled to sell. And this is very important because under current rules, they're not required to do so. So you could have a CEO, uh, whether it's Elon Musk or, or someone else, basically schedule a sale of, say, $2 billion worth of stock that's clearly material. And he wouldn't have to disclose that until the trades actually occurred. Whereas under the new rules, if the executives have scheduled large amounts of sales under these plans, that'll have to be disclosed uh, quarterly. So n- 90 days was the, the amount that was uh, was the, where the SEC landed on. I guess there have been calls for even longer uh, periods of time to, to have that window. So from your perspective, is 90 days, uh, you know, a, a good period, a good number to land on here in terms of making these disclosures? Yeah, I mean, the 90-day the window basically says from the time you adopt the plan, the plan cannot start trading for, until 90 days later. So the idea is if you put a plan in place today, any secret information that you have or private information that you have will be expired 90 days from now by the time you know, the trade actually occurs. And, you know, it's, it's imperfect. You know, I think 90 days is, is far better than what they have now, and what they have now is zero days. So you could adopt a plan, and that plan could trade on the same day. And nevertheless, you know, it would still get you out of, you know, violating, you know, insider trading rules. And that's problematic. You know, like, what does it mean to adopt a plan that trades in the same day? Like, that's just the normal trade. <laughs> so why should yeah. that be immune yeah. uh, from insider trading yeah. prosecution? So I think it's I think it's a big a big step forward uh, in terms of actually putting some some discipline on the use of these plans, and you know it's been years in the making. People have been talking about these plans for you know over the decade almost since they were since they were put in place. Um, so you know we'll see the pl- the new rules go into effect in April, and so hopefully we'll see you know my colleagues and I'll do some studies and see if the new rules actually improve things. And hopefully, you know, a couple of months from now, we'll know what the answer is. But even even the difference, say, between a 90-day window and a 30-day window is probably significant in terms of what could occur within a company. I mean, you think about, you know, something like, like Bed Bath & Beyond as an example with what's been going on with them and how much has changed relatively quickly uh, over the last uh, several months for that company. Yeah, so 90 days, I think the, the reason for that was this notion of quarters, right? So companies have to report yeah. earnings every quarter, 
And so 90 days is the quarter. So the idea is, is that if you adopt a plan now, this quarter, it cannot trade until after the earnings announcement, until next quarter. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what people commonly think about in terms of earnings announcements. There's obviously fast-moving announcements like Bed Bath & Beyond, but there's also slow-moving information, you know, like a drug trial. Uh, drug trials take more than 90 days to complete, you know, going through all of the various phases. Yeah. So I, I think it will effectively stop insider trading on yeah. uh, quick, quickly realized information, but it, it may not be, you know, the best at stopping, you know, insider trading with long-lived information that persists beyond 90 days. Right. And, and I've, I've read a couple of pieces that talk about, you know, as you mentioned, uh, dealing with this level of insider trading, that there actually could be a benefit to, to executives in, in terms of, of them you know, not being as susceptible to insider trading uh, because of, of the fact that there's a 90-day window in place. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, what's, what was perverse about this these plans when they were created is, is that the SEC basically created a get-out-of-jail-free card back when these plans were created uh, in, the, in the 2000s. And, you know, like, it, it, you don't have to be a PhD to realize that, you know, like, if you create a get-out-of-jail-free card, what type of people are going to use that card? Well, not just the people who deserve to use the card, but also the people who are actually engaging in insider trading, right? Yeah. And so now that they've sort of puffed up the rules, I think you're going to see people, some people, maybe less likely to use the plan. And I think that's a good thing. If you say, well, I don't want to wait 90 days to trade, then frankly you shouldn't be entitled to a get-out-of-jail-free card. You shouldn't be entitled to immunity. You shouldn't be entitled to an affirmative defense for insider trading. Um, so I, I do think that that, that it, it moves the ball. It moves the ball forward in terms of putting some conditions on there to you know to avoid liability. I mentioned obviously the ninety day window here, but there is also the component of other information. And are there specific elements that they are thinking about when you're? talking about that type of a category well you can never adopt a plan while you have material non-public information so if you have private information at the time that you adopt the plan it undermines the legal defense right so that's 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 the current law that's going to be the the future law so you always have to be free of that information at the time you adopt it um but you know one of the one of the questions or concerns is how is the sec actually going to sort of be enforcing these things and so you haven't really seen very much enforcement of insider trading under the existing rules along 10b51 plans the first case came out first standalone case came out against cheetah mobile uh this past year that was the only instance in which there was an enforcement action standalone enforcement action uh, for insider trading under a 10b51 plan, that tells me that the SEC has generally shied away from from you know from these plans, from trying to pierce the plan. And now with the rule changes, the plans will be made you know a little bit uh, more strict. And so that's a good thing. If the SEC is not going to pierce the plans, then the plans need to be you know very strict in terms of who we who we allow to get out 
from under insider trading liability. Was there something specific as to why that may, they maybe not did not uh, you know move forward with with some of the companies in these plans in the past? Uh, I think it's really I think traditionally people have looked at 10b51 and have said, well, you know, a lawyer has signed off on it, the board has approved it. So, you know, where is the where is the intent? Where's the intent to, to insider trade? Um, the other thing is it's it's there was no disclosure. So I, I think people yeah. people tend to look at the SEC or look at government and m- market monitoring based on, you know, what they see in movies about some sort of big brother who's constantly monitoring all all the trades that occur in markets and then red flags are going off and then the SEC investigates. But that's not yeah. how you know, that's not how it works in practice. And so the SEC didn't actually have insight into the 10B51 plans previously because there was no required disclosure. So it's not like the 10B51 plans, those pre, pre-plan trades, had to be disclosed to the SEC but not to the public. They weren't even being disclosed to the SEC unless the SEC <laughs> yeah. sent a subpoena. So there was no visibility for our enforcement agencies into the actual use of the plans. Well, so with this... Uh, now this new policy in place, what does that mean then for the concept of insider trading? It obviously would seemingly take it down, but obviously I think there's uh, there's always going to be concern of a level of some insider trading uh, potentially going on. Correct? Oh, absolutely. This is not a this is not a panacea. Insider trading is you know I feel very comfortable prediction for 2023. There are still going to be insider trading cases out there and still plenty of people engaging in insider trading. Uh, I think this just makes it a little bit harder for officers and directors to uh, to game the system and to use their private information to, you know, come by personal wealth. Just a little bit harder. And that's really basically all you can ask for these days is just moving the ball in the right direction, you know, batting singles, um, especially in this polarized environment. So I, I do think it, I do think it's something to celebrate. Um, yeah. Of course, if you're a really bad person and you know, you're a criminal, you're probably just going to shift to some other, you know, some other criminal activity. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and, and pass laws that minimize, minimize white collar crime. Oh, and as we've seen, Dan, there are others out there. There are other types of white-collar crime out there. <laughs> There's plenty sure. of them out there, right? <laughs> That's right. No, for sure. And so the question is, is you know, it's sort of a game of whack-a-mole, but I think that's yeah. a game that you have to take on, right? I mean, you don't, yeah. you know, you think about not white-collar crime, but, you know, but blue-collar crime in the sense that, you know, somebody can rob a bank. Well, you can put more yeah. police out at the bank to prevent it, but then they'll rob another bank. Uh, so, I, you know, I do think it's important to take uh, prophylactic steps, preemptive steps to, uh, you know, to try and minimize things. And it's good to see, but, you know, frankly, it's good, it's good to see Democrats and Republican commissioners on the same page. But in, final point for you here on, on this, Dan, is that element of enforcement. Uh, you know, it, there, there is obviously, as you said, with, with prior policy, there was a lack of enforcement in this. Does this 90-day window make it that much easier to enforce potential uh, elements of uh, of criminal activity out there? How much easier does it make it to enforce, I guess I should say? Well, I think the disclosure component makes it easier because now companies have to reveal 
uh, when the plans are being adopted, what, how, how many shares the plans cover, who's using the plans. And so that information will be public. So not only can journalists write right. stories on it, but the SEC can actually look at the information themselves. Whereas before, right. that information was stored you know, effectively in the company's vault. It wasn't public. The SEC didn't have it. And so you need some modicum of transparency to be able to do meaningful enforcement. Uh, and I think right. this provides a, a modicum of transparency that will be very useful uh, to help with enforcement of these plans. Um, and so we might actually see the usage of these plans decline um, because people may say, oh, well, now they can detect if I'm doing something illicit, and so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So, you know, if we see a decline in trading under these plans, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Dan, always great to talk with you to get your insight on these issues. Thanks again. All the best. All right. Take care, Dan. Dan Taylor, Wharton Accounting Professor. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.